Hey everyone, Joe Graves here, and uh, uh, we show a clip in this sermon, and you'll hear me mention it. And because of copyright uh, restrictions, we can't uh, include it on the podcast, and it's not on our YouTube page. It's a clip from a show called Parks and Rec. Um, there is a link on the podcast page for the entire clip. We show half of it at the beginning and the other half at the end. So if you want some context for that, you can check it out on our podcast page. And otherwise, I hope you enjoy today's sermon. It is uh, good to be with you. Uh, thanks to Lainey and um, uh, uh, for sharing those announcements. I do encourage you to sign up for the week of prayer. There's plenty that we can uh, be praying about for our church, for the world. And uh, the week of prayer actually falls along with our current series. So there's prayer prompts and some reflections that we'll be passing out, whether you do it online or at home, that really kind of helps you. So I really encourage you to sign up, even if you don't plan on coming into the space, uh, because you'll get an email and links to, to, for some of those prayer prompts around uh, the, what, we, what we're talking about, what it means to love our neighbors, so and do that. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, glad you're here. I uh, hope that uh, you're going to get to know me today a little bit. I'm going to, as I often do talk more than I should, and uh, I hope that I get to know you as well. So uh, it's good to be here. Uh, before we get into the message, I do want to share a couple of things, a couple of um, hard things, but uh, um, important. Uh, as some of you know, I recently returned from taking an extended time off. Um, I shared a little bit about that experience last week, which is up on the Central City podcast. So if you haven't uh, uh, heard that, you can check it out. Um, and I also mentioned that I would share more as the story is being written, and I promise not to do this every week, I promise, but uh, the couple of things I do want to share this week. Um, because of the, uh, the, there's been a series of conflicts in our community, um, because of that, some people in our community feel that I should uh, not be a pastor, at least at this time, and because I'm here, have decided to leave the church, um, which is heartbreaking for me, and I'm sure for many of you, um, to hear that. Now, as a church plant, we've seen many people come and go. Um, every time we change locations, our community changes. COVID, of course, was the whole thing. I mean, uh, we're five years into this, and we're just now getting back to doing greeters again, which was not a thing because of COVID, right? So it's just like we're always reinventing ourselves and trying to figure out what it means to be the church. Um, um, and every time it's hard, but you, you do get used to it as a pastor. Uh, Alyssa can attest. I mean, you get used to it, but you don't at the same time, right? Um, this one hurts a little harder than the rest because the reason people are leaving is because of me. Over the last 13 weeks, I've said some things that have been hurtful uh, to people in our community. Um, there's a lot more to the story, but this is part of it. So I, I want to acknowledge that. I want uh, to I repent of it, and I do want to do better. And I don't want to, no way I want to make excuses about it, but I do feel that it's helpful for me to offer some explanation because it might help us move forward with me as your pastor, which is my hope. Over the last couple of weeks, um, I have come across as uh, mean and stubborn. Um, and uh, Alyssa knows what that feels like. Uh, I've had at least one meltdown where I kind of lost my cool and even kind of lost control of myself. It was very messy. People have seen the, the most human, vulnerable, angry, upset, upset version of me. Um, and they didn't like what they saw, and I don't blame them. I'm, gonna, I'm doing a lot to work on that, though. I want to let you know that, and that I, I want to focus on working on it moving forward. So, so here's what it looks like. A year ago, Alyssa and I, Alyssa's here today. She's a pastor planning a church, but they don't have services today. Uh, so my wife and I were having very significant trouble in our marriage. If you're not new with us, you know that already. It's not news. At that time, uh, she too had trouble with my tone and my meltdowns. Amen? 
Uh, she didn't like them. Uh, well, after trying everything, you know, counseling, uh, prayer, uh, I read scripture more often, and it didn't get better. Uh, well, then one day I was watching a comedian, Hannah Gatsby, who I commend to you. Uh, she was talking about how she discovered she was on the autism spectrum and something hit me. And I started to research adult autism and found a list of traits for people with autism. I showed the list of traits to Alyssa. Actually, I think I woke her up to show her. And I said, hey, half of these things are true about me. And she looked at me. She looked at the list. She looked back at me. And she said, all of those are true about you. And this began a journey of discovery. So Alyssa and I started to read uh, and discover that I was on the autism spectrum. And I, and I have to say, Alyssa did her research. She read uh, specifically a book written by someone who's married to someone on the autism spectrum. And she'll tell you for the first time ever that our marriage made sense. Uh, my tone, my bluntness, my inability to read certain social cues, my anxiety in large groups, my meltdowns under scrutiny and stress. Discovering this saved our marriage. And we're doing great. Uh, because of it, she'll testify to that. Um, but it did give me a bit of false confidence, this sense that you know, it would be OK to unmask more uh, in more places, to be more of myself, to let my guard down. And while I've been able to do that in my marriage, and it's produced positive results, because uh, it turns out Alyssa actually likes me and wants to know me, um, it has caused a number of other problems in every other area of my life, uh, including the conflict at our church. Some would say that 90% of conflicts are rooted in misunderstandings, and I would say that 90% of misunderstandings involving me are often impacted and influenced by my disability. And as such, for my own benefit, and I think for your benefit, and for some, uh, and as someone who wants to advocate for people who are neurodiverse, um, I did end up pursuing an official diagnosis, and this week, I, I told you I'd tell more of the story as because it's, it's being written. So this week, I have been officially diagnosed by a medical professional after a multi-step assessment to ha that I have autism spectrum disorder. Turns out also ADHD. So I was very distracted by that. Um, <laughs> I, just, I didn't see that one coming. Um, a few other things that I'm not going to share, but here's the thing. This comes with real challenges. Um, I do struggle to read social cues sometimes. I struggle to understand the emotional states of other people. I don't know what is socially appropriate at times. I struggle with having the wrong tone. I laugh at the wrong place or appear angry when I'm not. Emotional regulation is a struggle and meltdowns, they can happen under intense scrutiny and pressure. But with all of these challenges, there are real benefits. So I want to keep this positive. Um, I would argue that the best thing about me is my autism. Now you can do what you want with that. I would even go as far as to say that if you know me and you like me, some of the things you like about me and the things that you love about me are tied to and influenced by autism. So here, let me tell you the good news. People with autism can be very hard workers and with intense focus. So they set their mind on something, and they will work endless hours until it is completed. They tend to be motivated by a sense of fairness and justice. I'm sure you're all surprised. People with autism can be very independent, unique thinkers with creative, out-of-the-box ideas. Once again, I'm sure you're surprised. They often look at the world differently and want to share their view of the world with others. People with autism can also have high fluid intelligence, which means that they can do a lot with a little. Um, they don't need to necessarily have the whole picture. They can connect dots and see patterns. And obviously, this is very strategic. And people with autism tend to be honest, maybe too honest. You're experiencing that now. That's what's happening right now. And because of that, also high integrity, though, because the way that which our brains are wired differently make us, it's really hard, almost painful to do and say things that feel false to us. Um, but also means that we can be very blunt and maybe even come across as mean. 
So on the one hand, I see autism as my superpower. Of course, on the other hand, it is a disability, and it is also my kryptonite. So I want to say that if I ever offend you or say the wrong thing, which if you get to know me well enough, I will, I want to know. I want the opportunity to learn. I want the opportunity to apologize, and I want the opportunity to do better. But in the world, here's, and people have told me, people I respect told me not to tell you guys this. But I've already written a blog about it, so it's like, what's the point? You can find this out online. But, but here's why. We live in a world where people don't talk about their weaknesses. Just don't. They don't talk about their struggles, they don't talk about their fears, you don't, you don't want your boss to know this. It's gonna hurt your career, right? You get treated differently. I've experienced all of this as I've been honest about who I am. But I do believe the church should be different. At least at this church, countless people have gotten up front, not just me, other you, many of you who are here, have gotten up front and told your story. And if you haven't, I'd love for you to. And people have talked openly about having ADHD. They've talked about their fears, their secrets. They've been honest. And that's why I share it with you. If you can share your story, then so can I. And that's what we want to be, a community where we allow everyone to be honest about who they are. And we really do believe that everyone is an expert of their own spirit. So I'm going to leave it there. We'll move on. We'll actually spend some time in Scripture. It's not the Joe Show. Um, we'll let God speak to you, but I wanted, to, I wanted you to know that. And this is going to be a journey as we, it's very appropriate today because we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, and that includes neurodiversity as well as a variety of other topics. So this is all very relevant. But with that, let's pray, and then we'll see what God has to say to us. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for the, uh, for the grace that you offer us, that you have created us all so very differently and love us equally. Help us to do the same. Help us to celebrate our differences that we might learn and understand one another. In your name, Jesus, the one who knows exactly what it feels like to be human, to be misunderstood, to be cast aside, show us the way. In your name, amen. There was a great show that came out in 2009, and it ran for a couple of years, one of the best comedies in recent years, in my opinion. It's a good millennial comedy. It's, it's, eventually, I'm going to be aging myself with these, these references. But it's called Parks and Rec. Anyone, anyone familiar with Parks and Rec? Yeah? A few, few nods, a few hands. OK. Uh, it tells the story of a local municipality and their Parks and Rec department, so you know it's going to be good. Uh, one of the better known characters, even if you don't know the show, is Ron Swanson. I got a little arrow there on Ron. He's uh, fantastic. He runs the department. What's great about him is how different he is from Leslie Nope, who actually does all the work in the department. And in this uh, particular episode, I want to show you a clip. Leslie, uh, the woman in front, uh, finds, out that Ron's, uh, finds out what Ron's birthday is. Um, and that's something Ron didn't want anyone to know because he's a super private person. He hates celebration, like hates, hates parties, or really anything involving people. And Leslie, on the other hand, throws a party for everything and loves anything involving people. So as it gets closer to Ron's birthday, Ron gets really nervous that Leslie, the party planner guru, is going to throw him a surprise birthday party. Uh, let's watch this clip. All right, all right, so Ron hey, hates hey. parties. You get it. And the idea is that if someone would throw him a party, oh, it gives him so much anxiety. So here's what it looks like when we don't get inclusion right. Can we, can we put this picture up of Ron? All right. <laughs> Do you see the pain in his face? His anxiety, his fear, more than a little bit of anger. This? Hold on to this image. This is what happens when you love people 
when you love people on your own terms, when we misunderstand people, when we decide we know people better than they know themselves, when we try to force what we want on somebody instead of what God wants for them. This is what it looks like when we don't love other people the way that they need love. And this is the face, hold on to this face, this is what we're trying to avoid at church. All right? We want to avoid this. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, we're basically saying, don't make people feel this way. All right? The church actually has a long history of trying to be inclusive and failing at it. I mean, we're not the first church to run into conflict. Even, uh, I would argue that the majority of Paul's letters to the early church were addressing some kind of conflict. Conflict is a part of life. And this is certainly true for the Corinthian church. They were good at a lot of things, and being inclusive and loving community was not one of them. They were deeply divided as a church. And so much of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church deals with how to love in the midst of diversity. I mean, that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many are familiar with that, that passage? 1 Corinthians 13? You probably heard it at a wedding at some point. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is very popular. It's also the point of the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church had become fractured because of their diversity. Their differences, instead of making them stronger, were pushing them apart. And Paul lays out a different vision in this letter, a compelling vision of what it means to be the church, to love our differences, to be inclusive. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to learn from him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 12. So it's very easy to find if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your phone. It'll also be on the screen. Paul is talking about what it means to be the church, a community of diverse people, and he describes it like this. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. It starts with a simple metaphor. The community of Christ is like a body. Although one has many parts, lots of different parts to the body, if you think about it, most things, if they're complex enough, are made up of many other parts. So how can something be one but still many? What holds it all together? I'm glad you asked. Verse 13, he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. What holds it all together? The spirit holds it all together. I'm going to pause there for a second. What he's saying here is that God makes diversity possible. You could say it like this. Diversity isn't natural. Supernatural. It, it, it actually requires God showing up. That this kind of inclusion, a whole bunch of different things coming together as one, is, according to Paul, kind of a miracle. And I would agree with that because it doesn't seem to happen as often as we want. And it almost does take a miracle, right? That's, that's what we call it when God does something. When God does something, it has to show up. That if God didn't show up, it wouldn't happen. Unity in the church is one miracle that we could look for, a supernatural work of God. When the Spirit pulls us together, we become one. And he adds, verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part but of many. The body is not made up of one part but of many. Here's the first lesson in becoming a diverse and inclusive community. It's 
very simple to understand, and we'll probably be struggling with this the rest of our lives to live it out. Are you ready for this? It's very easy to remember. We are different. I don't know if you knew that. We work really hard to try to appear not different. We find people who are like us, and we spend all our time with them. But the first lesson in understanding diversity and inclusion is coming to terms with the fact that we are different. And if you've ever really gotten to know somebody, really tried to do life with somebody, a spouse, a friend, you'll realize that we need to acknowledge that people are different. Other people do not always experience the world the way we do. So here's the first step in becoming a diverse and inclusive community, which is a non-negotiable for me. And if you got something, you can write it down. We need to give people permission to be something we don't understand. You don't have to understand it. Think about some, think about some category of diversity. We need to give people permission to be something we don't understand. I'm different than my family. This isn't in my notes, and I worried I would ad lib and we'd run out of time, but I'm gonna do it anyways. I'm different than my family, and, and, and some of my theology is different than my family, and for a long time I was worried my family would disown me if they knew what I believed. And for some reason they didn't, and I feel that they've given me permission to be something that they don't understand. And it means I'm still part of that family. And I still enjoy going home for Christmas and for Thanksgiving. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So I'm going to say it again. We need to give people permission to be something we don't understand. Um, diversity happens, happens when we say, I'm going to let you be who you are. Which also means I'm going to believe you when you tell me that you experience the world differently than me. I'm not going to judge you for being different. I'm not going to try to talk you into seeing the world the way that I do. I'm not going to try and fix it. And uh, I'm not going to try to fix the difference I see in you. I'll say that again. I'm not going to try to fix the difference I see in you. I'm going to celebrate the difference I see in you. Because I believe the body of Christ is made up of people who are different from me and who have something to offer because they're different than me. So I don't have to fix your difference. I get to celebrate it. So I want you to look at your neighbor. We don't normally do this, so let's practice. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not going to try to fix you. Now look at him and say, because I'm going to celebrate what makes you unique. I'm going to celebrate what makes you unique. Sorry, introverts. I get it. I would not want to be you in that situation. We have to start seeing differences as an asset, not a barrier. So Paul goes on and really drives this point home. Verse 15, let's read what he says. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. I love the humor in scripture sometimes. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Here's what he's saying. If everyone was the same, if everyone was the same part of the body, there would be no body. It would be something out of a horror movie. Like, it'd just be weird. We will only become 
a truly inclusive community when we realize this. Diversity is necessary. It's necessary, which means this isn't optional. Getting to know people who are different than you isn't a learning experience. It's not kind of some special project. It is essential to becoming the person God wants you to be. It's not about loving people who are less fortunate than you as if they need you. No, you need them. You need people in your life who are black, white, gay, straight, male, female, autistic, disabled, foreign, rich, poor. You need, the, you need them in your life if you're going to become the person God wants you to become. And until we realize that it's necessary for us, for me, any work we do around diversity or inclusion will cause more harm than good and will make people feel like we're better than them, that we're here to help them, as if there's some kind of special project or a token to be collected. I'm autistic, but I do not need your sympathy, your guilt, or your paternalistic compassion. I want your companion and your trust. I need you to see that what makes me different is a good thing. And God wants to use it just as what makes you different is a good thing. And I want to offer you that same, inclusive love. Who you are, what you have to offer is a good thing, and I'm here for it. But to do that, we have to have a better understanding of equality. So first, we have to recognize uh, that diversity is necessary. The second one is this. Here's what Paul says, next verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor, honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. That's why we have to hear our stories, by the way. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it, which is why we have to hear those stories as well. Do, do you hear what Paul is saying here? He says, we're all equal but we're not going to all feel equal. Did you pick up on that? We're all equal. We're all equally loved by God, all equally created in the image of God, but we are not going to all feel equal. You see, in our world, in every culture on the planet, certain kinds of roles and people and genders and identities have given special importance. I will give you one that is very personal to me. Men have ruled most of the world through much of history, specifically white men. That is a fact. Just the way the world... That's just how it worked, much of the Western world at least. I'm not a history major, and I can't tell you the specifics, but I hear it was pretty pervasive, colonialism. So even though we believe men and women are equal, we have to acknowledge the fact that society as a whole favors men over women, which means we bring into this community, this church, what we call the kingdom of God, we bring into it a set of biases and assumptions and stereotypes. And this is what Paul is saying here. Some roles, some positions in the community, because of human brokenness and influence of the world, are given places of honor by default, and others aren't. Now, this is a bit political, but I don't know how else to say it. Paul is talking about privilege. Some parts of the body have privilege. And how does Paul say to deal with that privilege? 
very simple. He says, look for those who don't have it and give it to them. What else does he mean by this? So he says, quote, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. They are meant to have equal concern. Hear me out now. But that does not mean equal treatment. Think of, think of it like this. Mary's song. You know what I mean by Mary's song? Uh, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, when she found out she was giving birth to, you know, God made flesh, she proclaims this song. It's pulled from the Old Testament. She adds some stuff to it. She says some pretty radical things in it, some things that I happen to be a big fan of. Two of those are two verses, 52 and 53, from Luke chapter 1. He says, this is Mary proclaiming, knowing that she's going to give birth to our Lord and Savior. God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You see, Mary's song tells us something about God. God doesn't treat all people the same. Ooh, sounds like heresy. She says that God feeds the poor, but sends the rich away empty. That God brings down the powerful, but lifts up the lowly. And that might not seem fair. That's not equal treatment. But don't you see, a diverse community requires diverse action. Equal concern does not equal equal treatment. It's a lot of equals there. But I added a graphics, so it's a little bit easier. Equal concern does not equal equal treatment. We can't treat each other all the same just because, because we're not the same. Some have more than others. So the actions can't be equal because the goal is to be treated equally the goal isn't to be treated equally, but to move us all to a place where we actually become equal. So the poor who are down here receive more, and the rich that are up here are told to give everything they have to the poor, and then we meet in the middle. So we actually become equal. Equal concern means diverse treatment. Now, if you have a lot, that might feel like bad news. I promise you it is not. You will find no greater release and freedom and liberation of your soul than to give what you have away. To meet people who are different from you, including those living in poverty. You'll find no greater joy. It will transform your life in a way that you've never imagined. You will, you're not giving to the poor because they're going to be better off. You will be better off. And until you realize that, you're not really doing it the way God would intend. We need to love people in a way that makes sense to them, where they're at and what they need, to get to know them well enough to give them what they need. So consider the story of Ron Swanson, good old Ron. Ron was freaking out because he was convinced someone was throwing him a birthday party that he would only, ate, only hate and find overwhelming. Do you remember this face? This is what it looks like when we love people equally. The idea of throwing Ron the same party as Anne because that would be fair. I'm going to push some buttons. Stay with me. Just very briefly. If you need to tune out, tune out. I wonder. I wonder if this is how a person of color might feel when a white pastor says from the pulpit, all lives matter. I wonder, I, wonder, I can't speak on behalf of women. I wonder if this is how women feel when someone tells them to stop being bossy when they're just being assertive. 
I don't know, but I've heard that maybe this is how someone who's disabled, who lives in a wheelchair or with a cane, might feel when someone comes up to them and says, hey, can I pray for you? Don't you know there's no wheelchairs in heaven? Which I found out is something people do. Yeah, don't do that. I will tell you this. This is exactly how someone with high-functioning autism feels when um, they are misunderstood, come across as a jerk, when in reality they just didn't know what was going on socially or emotionally. And that right there, in all of its forms, and maybe that's not where you look when you're frustrated. You look differently. That's okay. This is what we're trying to avoid. Now, thankfully, the great thing about the show Parks and Rec is actually it's a beautiful picture of what it means to love people for who they are, not who you want them to be. So I want to show you how uh, things actually plays out. Some of you know, have seen this already, but it's worth watching again. So let's watch this clip. What does it mean to be inclusive? I mean, I think it means loving people who are different than us in a way that makes sense for them. I, I would encourage you to remember these words from the great prophet Leslie Nope. Why would I throw Ron Swanson and Ann Perkins' party? I want to bring this home. I realized a couple of years ago that I did not understand what it meant to be a person of color in America. I thought racism was behind us. And when I found out it wasn't, well, that was a surprise. I was living in a bubble. And I wanted to know more. I realized more than a couple of years ago that I did not understand what it meant to feel like to be a woman trying to lead in this world. I thought sexism was behind us. But when I learned it wasn't, I wanted to learn more. And, and, and having a strong female leader as my wife, uh, it was non-negotiable. <laughs> she made sure of that. Thank you, Alyssa. It wasn't easy either. I'm stubborn. I realized a couple years ago that I did not understand what it meant to be LGBTQ in our world. I, I was raised in a don't, don't ask, don't tell community. I didn't know what the, the, what the LGBTQ experience was, so I invested time and energy trying to understand, learning, and listening. And in each of these journeys, and you could add every other category that you can think of, I had to start acknowledging that people could experience the world in ways I didn't understand. I had to sit and try to understand, not by talking, but by listening. And I had to come to terms with the truth that the church is better if people who are different are a part of it. That I need people of color, women in leadership, LGBTQ. serving in the church, if I'm going to become the person God wants me to be. And the same is true for you. I need, I need it. I, diversity, I, I want to be better. I want to be different. And I know that you do too. And I had to recognize my own privilege in all of this. In the ways that I prefer to be loved so that I can learn to love people the way they need to be loved. And that is not something I have mastered. But I am trying to learn. I had to shift privilege so that it can be, we can actually be equal. And this is something I'm still learning. And I think this is one of the dimensions that it means to love our neighbors, specifically around diversity and inclusion. So that's my challenge to you. Whoever you are, take time and invest in getting to know someone who's different from you. You could invite someone to get coffee, but maybe you shouldn't start there, because uh, if you don't know anything, that could be offensive. I'll give you this advice. Start with a book. There are people who've put an immense amount of energy into trying to explain the experiences of other people. If you're interested in understanding the perspective of, 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 of um, African Americans in our country, there are loads of great books. Uh, LGBTQ, I can recommend a few. Feminist theology, yep, those exist. Neurodiversity, autism, there are books that you can check out. 
In fact, I'll be putting a list of the books that I've found helpful that help open up the way to even having a conversation with people and understanding. I'll be putting that on, uh, once we post the podcast later this week, there'll be a link there uh, to list of some of the books and resources that I've found helpful, which you can find on centralcity.co slash podcast. So I encourage you, read a book, maybe eventually get coffee with someone, show up to the conversations that we are constantly hosting. Um, over the next year, every uh, about every other month or so, over the next year, we're going to be bringing in guest speakers to speak on issues of justice. And we're finalizing the, the, the next, the first three. Um, it'll be called Voices of Justice. Um, the last Sunday in November, my friend, Reverend Charles Ferguson, uh, who's an African-American pastor on the South Side, will be preaching. We'll be bringing in Chris, uh, who does immigrant relief. They'll be coming in December, and we'll be talking about how our Christmas Eve offering is going to go towards supporting an immigrant family. And in January, we're, we're finalizing some conversations. So we're going to be bringing in, so come, be a part of it, and join the conversation and listen uh, without judgment and try to stretch your own understanding. You can watch movies or read novels by those who are written who are different from you, but step out, learn about other people so that we can love people better. Let's, let's pray. God, we come before you. God, we give you thanks that when you said that we were created in your image, you didn't mean just one image, that you are so vast and so big and so mysterious that that image is a reflection of so many different ways. And that if we really want to understand you, Lord, we need to find diverse people, men, women, who reflect who you are. Who provide yet another vantage point into who you are. And that in loving them, we are in fact loving you. So help us, Lord. Help us to step out to see your image in other people we might be your people, transformed in your name. Holy Spirit, come and comfort us if we need comfort. Conflict and uh, convict us if that's what we need. Change us, Lord, in your name. Amen.